welcome to True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the True Alignment podcast. And where are we? We're live in the True Alignment office in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Any thoughts, questions, concerns? Comments, anything at all. True Alignment, email us at info at truealignment.com. And as always, we'll respond as quickly and timely as we can. I got to give you a little crap because last last week's <laughs> podcast you made us uh, you made us a nonprofit. You oh, I did. Truealignment.org. You did. Uh, yeah. Oh well. We should have we should have participated in Giving Tuesday. We missed our opportunity. Yeah, we didn't receive either. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Edgar. You know, what? just uh, thanks for the conversation last week uh, on the podcast where we talked about kind of the intersection of. Of, of self and professional self, mm-hmm. personal self and professional self and uh, laying out the 2024 for true alignment. So I want to say thank you. Well, yeah, thank you. Likewise. Yeah. This yeah. is uh, one of the, uh, uh, what I would say in terms of, you know, scaling where's fun in life, uh, this definitely working with you and doing this and with uh, Jim as well. And uh, Heather Kuhar is here with us today. Hi, guys. Hi. We're using all the space in the true alignment office today. We are. And Full house. And before we came, before we started the podcast, I uh, made the comment that, uh, yeah, today we begin to welcome uh, people to the True Alignment community. And I'm starting to think that we might need a bigger office and multiple more microphones and, and we start having gatherings here. And that would be a really interesting, fun experiment. That would be fantastic. I yeah. love that. So yeah. uh, there's something else for the coming year that we'll be working on. There you go. Put and it on the whiteboard. Put it on the whiteboard. <laughs> We have a whiteboard here in the office with all our ideas and planning and everything. And, uh, we, we build it, we build it, then we erase it, and then we build some more. It's a lot we, of fun. We take pictures first because we always need a record. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, because we're forgetful. Forgetful I indeed. Am. Yeah. Forgetful indeed. And uh, so, Ken, who's our guest for today? Today, we are very lucky to have Lori Jones. Um, the president and CEO of Avocet Communications. Welcome, Lori. How are you? I, well, I feel very cozy. We love it. That's the best yeah. way a guest can feel right there. Yeah. <laughs> we love it. Um, we're so excited to have you here on the podcast. You know, we've, we've spoken with you um, from business to business and now having you in for a little bit more personal conversation on the True Alignment podcast. So um, we're grateful. Oh, I tell you, I'm grateful. So excited to be here and I'm such a believer. Awesome. Well, let me, um, we do the, this is my least favorite thing. You know, I know because it's the so... bios. It's just, it's just not us, but um <laughs> And, so I, and it's kind of hard to listen to it as the guest as well. Yeah, it's always <laughs> weird, right? Yeah. The, the whole third person there. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a little skim of the professional bio. So of, you know, so Lori. thoughts that come to mind. Uh, Lori, extremely talented. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think very insightful as part of that talent. Uh, incredible insight. Very accomplished at what you do. Thank you. My take on it is uh, from the perspective of the small amount that I that I do know. Is I think you're probably a really, really great mentor and leader to the people that you work with. I appreciate that. I and take that. Luckily, yeah. I think they would agree. <laughs> well, we should talk about some of the accolades right there. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's a really good segue. Yeah, and I, and I think that in terms of alignment, I think you're, you're pretty, pretty much uh, align, in touch with and have a great idea of your own self-concept and how to align what you do to it. Thank you. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, just let's talk a little bit about that recognition for that. Um, you're in the, the Boulder County Hall of Fame. 
I can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty you know, exciting, isn't it? it uh, yeah, you don't look old enough to be in a Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, this is. I have to say that the first line of your bio, like that's just a line I wouldn't say on the air. So we'll leave we'll leave that one alone. Okay. That, that talks about your years of experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely don't look it, which no, is a good thing. Not one, not one iota. <laughs> Right, but you're, you know, Avocet Communications, one of the top 25 advertising agencies in the state. Right. Uh, always recognized by um, Colorado Biz as one of the top uh, women-owned businesses. Um, whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all kinds of great stuff. You're, you're a podcast host of the Integrate and Ignite Marketing Podcast, which is changing its name to? Strategy Cast, nice. beginning January 9th. Strategy Cast, as we enter that year. You've worked with some Whopper clients uh, IBM, Papa John's, things that uh, the general public is really going to know about. So you're influencing everybody we see on the street. Influencing pizza, massages, tire purchases, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. <laughs> the everyday person. Right. Yeah. I mean, how could you ask for a better reach? Yeah, it's it's been a wonderful, wonderful career. And I adore every moment of it. Even, so, even the mistakes I've, I've made along the way. So, uh, you know, can we jump right into questions? Yeah. So... An advertising agency. Why are you asking me? You're 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 this you're this wide, which the audience can't see, right? I'm holding my arms really far apart. And he has long arms. <laughs> and you're but you're you do so much different so many different things in an advertising agency. What's your favorite? So we refer to it as integrated marketing, which integrates all all the advertising, the paid advertising, your owned assets, uh, which are is branding and then PR and content. But really, my passion center revolves around the strategic development prior to even implementing all those components. And it's the ideation. It's coming up with how are we going to position? How are we going to differentiate? How are we going to create and change behaviors among our clients' audiences so they have the emotional epiphanies and the aha moments to say, okay, I, I'm going to choose this brand. So, Lori, with the with the students here, one thing is we're t teaching them business, and um, you know, I teach the marketing strategy class here. So, um, I, I should have I'm, you on my cast. I, well, I should have you in my class. <laughs> 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 I, I can sit back. I'll, I'll invite you to come teach. Um, it probably would be better for for the students, but you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with you. The one thing that we say to the students is that. Um, you know, if you're a business, you have to desire to change some human being's behavior. Right. It's all about behavior. It takes the average person 26 times today to interact and make a decision on choosing a brand. 26 mm -hmm. times. The reasons why are because we all have in control uh, in our own hands, on our mobile devices, on our computers, whatever it might be, when we choose to interact with a brand. So because we're the consumer is con in control, brands now really need to differentiate create those, again, those emotional epiphanies, those aha moments, so that there is a connection to that behavior. And we also better make sure um, that we're personalizing those interactions so that the brand feels very one-on-one -on -one, yeah. um, to the individual. The brand presents itself as one-on-one -on -one to the individual so they feel they belong. How often does the business leader give you um, not willingly go into the conversation about the differentiation? Uh, if I'm understanding the question correctly, I think all too often the sea of sameness is on the table. I would say with brands that we're working um, with now, we're changing not only uh, the internal habit on how they should be thinking about how mm -hmm. to position their brand in the marketplace, 
but also changing the habit of the customers so that they feel they belong to the brand. You know, at least 90% of the time, we are changing the brand's momentum or trajectory uh, because they have started out wrong. Um, they are the sea of sameness, looking, sounding, and positioning themselves like every other brand in the market. It's interesting. You said uh, a feeling they belong, and then you just came back to it, belonging to the brand. Um, so from an emotional standpoint, there's certainly that connectivity piece. Um, so say, say more about how that belonging uh, actually happens or occurs. Well, first of all, let me say this. There's so much choice today. Right. Uh-huh. And there's so much choice, and then you you know get into the mix the number of times a brand needs to interact with someone to make a decision. Yeah, uh, that that behavior, the way we're positioning, the way we're messaging, the way we're creating design elements that create that emotion is mm-hmm. ultimately the goal here. Um, and how we go about doing that is different for each and every brand. We've got, as an agency, 57 different strategic levers that we pull on mm-hmm. based on where the brand stands today and where it wants to go into the future. Uh, so there's no set example or no set prescription, if you will. Yeah, that's the uniqueness. Yeah, it is that uniqueness, and we have to go at it from a very unique mm-hmm. standpoint. Otherwise, uh, the risk is that the behavior will not change and the customer will not make, uh, you know, the end game will not be what we plan it to be. Mm-hmm. So the behavior coming out of this, uh, the decision-making right. is what you're actually uh, referring to. Right. And right. commitment, I would say. You know, I mean, we yeah. face this in true alignment work mm-hmm. too, is that the um, there's usually a little bit of misunderstanding where what behavior an organization is trying to uh, affect. And then... Um, there's not agreement in the land. Right. So that internal alignment, when we are talking about internal and external comms, uh, I, I was uh, talking to a dear friend last week, and she refers to it as an iceberg. And the, the internal comms is under the water, mm-hmm. and the external comms is on top. And without that that internal comms holding up without that iceberg in the water, creating the flotation, you are not going to be successful. And that is the importance uh, that we place on everything we do. We have gone to great lengths as an agency to develop programs to first launch any initiative um, that we have internally to get the alignment needed in order for it to, cr- to create the consistency needed externally, even before a campaign launches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know our work in true alignment, we realize that takes a lot of time. It does. Sometimes more time than the CEO likes. And a lot of repetition, by the way. Uh, you know, we talk about 26 times externally. Uh, it, you know, it's nearly that not that much internally to not only create alignment, but get the team utilizing the same verbiage, creating the same approaches, customer focus versus customer service, all those components that become very important there. Um, but but that repetition internally becomes very, very important to create that consistency externally. Yeah, so the CEO can actually be a CRO, Chief Repetition Officer, right? Oh, my goodness. That <laughs> right is so true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That came up in a conversation with someone recently, and I right. can't recall who it Our is. Chief Reinforcement so Officer. So who's ever listening, yeah. thank you very much. the concept. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I want to go back to something because, uh, well, there's two, th- two thoughts I had as I was listening to you. The first one is, is the one that you also reinforced, Ken, is the idea that um, when you think about branding, internal alignment becomes so critical, so key. Uh, we call that the total experience, which is that the internal alignment and the behaviors of employees and also leadership 
and how that that's influenced is in alignment to the customer experience. Right. And then we, we see that emotional thread develop out of that. The question I want to come back to um, is you talked about the different levers. You talked about, you know, there's always the uniqueness emotionally. Do you see any emotional characteristic or um, what the customer motivation is? Do you see any that's more pronounced in today's uh, business society or, or in consumer behavior than others? Is there anything that's kind of showing up consistently? Yeah, I, there definitely is. Uh, and, and let's take a look at this uh, from an external standpoint. And then let's take a look at it internally, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people trust is so important today. Right. Uh, and it's important because there's so many decisions to be made. Mm-hmm. But it's also important because it's a tough economy. And so when someone makes a buying decision, they want to feel as though they're making the correct buying right. decision. Mm-hmm. They don't want to feel as though they've been had. And they want to have that feeling of, you know, the brand, how we, how we develop branding is all about creating trust yeah. and creating alignment so that someone says, aha, I, I want to do that. But it's got to be believable internally as well. Mm-hmm. And that belief system that starts with the North Star and the values really, and the mission and vision uh, trails down to ultimately the message, the brand position, the differentiation that we'll place into the marketplace. And without that trust, uh, to me, trust is table stakes as an emotion. Agreed. And without that trust, there is not a brand out there that will succeed. So when we look at it through the lens of true alignment, and we we look at it through, well, there's different definitions of trust. So there's... um, trust in mutual respect being heard there's trust in that you'll deliver competently right trust in the truth that you're being open and honest so different forms of trust Are any of those then in terms of connectivity to the emotional piece um show does it show up more than others is my question it um, does um, i'm really curious to see what you're what you're seeing with, with respect to that yeah so repeat the question for me if you would i'm i'm so when you think about trust and you think about motivation and emotion from the customer experience, mm-hmm. the customer experience, um, is there any definition or, or form of trust that you see more often than others? Which one do you see anything being elevated um, amongst all the different forms that you could think of in terms of trust? Which one is there one that's showing up more than others in you today's know, I society? Look, yeah, I, I, I have never define trust, uh, you know, with in many, many different ways. Mm-hmm. So it's a little difficult to answer. But I think how you position the brand in its entirety, mm-hmm. and its in wholeness, and its distinction, and how, you know, those are all it's, it's creating that feeling of belonging is a way that you can say, I trust you. It's that feeling of um, security I guess, and, you know, belonging, security, all those components, right. I don't see you know, too much of a difference. Okay, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I have so many questions here. You know, here at Regis, I work to help people start businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I love what you said that trust is stable takes. Table. Table takes. <laughs> that was very interesting. Yeah. Stable takes. It must be that horse yeah. limit conversation. Exactly. We were the, um, <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> the, uh, so... When you're new, I, I mean, I have so many questions. One is that uh, a professional agency like yours, Lori, um, you know, every, every, there's arrogance in the land mm-hmm. where you don't need to hire a professional to do things. I think more now so than ever. I agree. 
So, um, you know, if you get these young companies, these young startup companies, and I, you know, the one thing that we teach here is to avoid those three F's, your family, friends, and fools. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the people that you know that love you, um, when you say, would you buy my product? They all say yes, because they love you. Right. Um, and so you never get really good feedback until you start talking to strangers, which is why startups that go too fast get in front of an investor and then, you know, their soul and their dreams get crushed because they've never really, A, talked to a customer and figured out what behaviors they're really going to influence. And this idea of how do you come out of the gate with a trust? I mean, and this is the, you see some companies grow up and they, they tackle big, uh, parts of sectors. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a, a wonderful example here is uh, the clothing company Cotopaxi um, trying to take on a Patagonia. Right. Right. Which in the trust race is so far beyond <laughs> most organizations. Right. Um, you know, how do you, how do you come out the door trying to build that trust and what do you need to do f- and how long do you need to do it? I think it never ends by right. the way. Uh, but we talk a lot about this at the agency. Most startups, and this is not an, an unequivocal, but most startups believe that their product is going to sell itself. Right, right. And so they haven't done the research. They have had the triple F, you know, get involved. And they're starting out after a nice tranche. And they're nowhere from a branding, marketing, positioning, differentiation standpoint because they tried to do it on the cheap. Yep. And they did not invest in the right uh, solution to set the brand up to succeed. So along with that, the the interviews, the customer interviews are absolutely essential. Right. We talk a lot at the agency about customer first, and that is really one of the key components of alignment, right? You've got to make sure that you're aligned externally with the customer, and then you can really create that alignment internally as well. It goes both ways. And what we find is that The brand, because they have not done their due diligence, they go to market sounding like everyone, looking like everyone. There's no point of differentiation. They talk about what they do and how they do it. They don't talk about how how the behavior will be changed by the customer by adopting that product or that solution, and they're set up to fail. Uh, The number one reason brands fail is research, lack thereof. Number two reason is because they run out of money. Uh, at these early stages, and even Series A, B, uh, they can really go at it wrong. And, you know, back to the point that you brought up about internal teams versus external teams, that's a real hot button for me. And one of the key gifts, I believe, that an external firm provides is they have no preconceived notions about what is and what should be. They're so departed from the product that they go into it with a completely open mind And they've got to be able to, we've got a client right now that we're working with. One of the main reasons he hired us, aside from the incredible resume and our experience, is because I disagreed with him in a meeting before he hired us. And he really appreciated the ability for someone to say, "Eh, let's look at it this way instead. That is one of the key gifts. I did that at Halliburton. I didn't get invited back. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you. Yes, I, I, yeah. You know, but but a great leader has got to be able to live with disagreement around them in order to succeed. One of the aspects of great leadership is uh, consistently the um, seeking the truth. Right. And that can come in different forms, and very often that's... uh, uh, it, it's it can surprise us. There's also this piece I'm thinking about is as I'm listening to you about the um, 
the motivation of a of a leader and perspective that they carry with them that uh, can ignore the contextual inquiry that you're providing right. in, in the way that you're doing it. And so because I'm motivated a certain way, my my assumptions about who the customer are and how the market's going to respond is very often in a very narrow, there's a narrow lens that's applied to it because I'll advocate a point of view because of my own, uh, both my motivation and my experience and bias towards it. And very difficult for leaders um, to set that aside and see things differently and hear it, hear it from someone who's actually giving feedback on the experience itself. And my sense of it here is that that emotional piece that you referred to before, that the shift in behavior uh, doesn't occur until the experience shifts in some way. And so the uniqueness of the experience, not just the messaging of it, the uniqueness of the experience and the alignment of the messaging, of course, but it's the actual experience then that has to be, um, yeah, has to meet the mark in it terms does. of what the customer Drive is seeking. The and then, you, yeah, that emotional experience is where the trust therein lies, right? Right. And we, with our retail and consumer product clients, uh-huh. we talk a lot about um, three different segments segments of audiences, even before we drill down into the specific audience. It's first-timers, loyalists, and switchers. Right. And so you've got this great Harvard article about this uh, several years back. And so you've got a first-timer who's experiencing the brand for the first time, and that's where we're really trying to differentiate ourselves from the competitive landscape, Mm -hmm. right? How do we get them to taste the product, to feel the product, to wear the product, to uh, try the product, whatever it might be for the first time? And then how do we create alignment thereafter Mm -hmm. so they continue to utilize, and we've got repeat, repeat customer count. Your switcher is a very, very fickle client. They're usually always chasing um, the newest and greatest thing, uh, a discount, whatever it might be. They really don't have that brand loyalty. And But then we move into the loyalist market and really where we try focusing our first timers and loyalists because we're not going to change the habit of that switcher and the cost to change that habit is far too high. And when you're focusing, you can apply that to B2B as well, by the way. It depends on how long the sales cycle is and how expensive the product is, but you can apply that principle to B2B marketing. And we do find ourselves doing that um, to really create the loyalist. Yeah, because you're, uh, my sense of it is if you're using it, you're, that way of thinking yourself, then the way that you're managing in your B2B world is is in alignment to what it is that you're offering right. for your for your clients. And back to the note um, or, or the comment that you had about the CEO and alignment, mm-hmm. what we find with most startup companies at least, uh, and, and we focus on on marketing for the smartest disruptors, innovators, and visioneers who want to grow business. Those individuals are incredible thought leaders. They've come up with an incredible idea. They've got the niche. But the mistake that they that we often see with them is they try to be all things to all people mm-hmm. instead of the segmentation um, that is needed. And even if it's and, – and they don't budget enough. So they Always. want – they go to market with this very wide, wide net instead of niching into a segment, an audience segment – owning that market and then moving into the next. So, so the, the potential is totally diffused 
Because they run out of money, back to my earlier point, and they have not niched down uh, where they could be successful. Yeah, the uh, revenue chasing, not all revenue is good revenue, yeah. which we talk a lot about. And then there's the other piece of that um, that uh, that really resonates for me is um, that the understanding that you can be a market leader within a niche. It's right. not always about volume. It's not only, always about rapid uh, you know, results. It's really about the right results. It is. And getting the right customers and right. clients. Yeah. See, I, this is where, um, you know, I hang, I hang my head in shame a little bit as a business school faculty member. Uh, I do a lot of work around the globe trying to Choose break. not to be shamed. To break, <laughs> to break business education the way we currently do it. Because I think one of the things that we do is that get as much revenue as you can is kind of a gross misunderstanding of the, of the capitalism that we bring forward. But I also think that the ever upward positive slope of your revenue um, drives a certain set of behaviors, right? I mean, and then, you know, it drives these efficiency behaviors. So, you know, as I, as I help people do P&L statements, what we see always is that they underestimate the cost of, of good marketing. Right. I mean, by, by factors of X. Yeah. Do you want a good, better, cheap, oh my good, gosh. fast, cheap, rather. You know, and I think yeah. that's the, um, you know, it's really, really interesting to see companies do that, but the good revenue versus bad revenue Mm-hmm. Like I have this niche, I need another niche. Like I don't, that's like, it's inherent in how we pump people out of business school. It really is. Uh, and you know, I do think that a, a lot of that has to do with, you know, not looking at it as a book and a, and a lesson, but bringing people in from the outside uh, such as brand leaders, agency owners, and stuff like that, to provide some of that real-world sense. Um, and I know a lot of the programs here also, uh, they your students are able to gain that through a lot of um, not only the internships, but a lot of the programs that they collectively come together, they work on a campaign for a brand, and then they compete nationally yeah. on the whole strategy behind it and stuff like that. Yeah. But so that, I think, uh, lends a lot of credence to to not just being book smart, but being more world smart as well. Yeah. Yes. I, can, I, can I add, we just had, um, we had two very interesting projects. Our, our MBA uh, capstone is a, is a, they work with a live company here in town mm-hmm. to do a project that they're interested in. It's really difficult, A, to get the company to, commit to what the project actually is. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of amazing. But, um, you know, this one they just worked on was we have uh, a brand expert faculty. He runs a company in Asia, um, mostly in the cosmetics businesses. But he is, um, we were asked by a local distillery, a small local distillery, to help them get ready to rebrand. And it was really to do some of the market research to hand it over to the agency. That's great. Um, the interesting thing was between the time we agreed to do the project and the time we started the project, somebody bought them. Oh gosh. And everybody, (laughs) everything that we thought was the project with the small distillery owner. Now they had this big, um, actually it's really interesting brewery that now wants to get into the Mm. spirit space. And (laughs) it was inevitable. Oh my gosh. It is like, it is so to hear the conversation, I mean, I love it for my students because, you know, I say throw them Adaptation. in the deep end, I mean, swim. it happens every day, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it ha- I mean, we we had three clients in the last five years um, with 
you know, billion dollar IPOs. And, you know, we didn't expect things to change that rapidly that quickly. Uh, but, you know, when you have an IPO like that, we're out. I mean, we got them to that point, but it's a totally different ball game at that, at that point. Yeah. And adaptation is key. Yeah. Uh, either you're adapt, you know, how you adapt your team to those kind of changes, um, or the whale signs that we talk a lot about um, yeah. in, in marketing, or uh, talk about value. Um, they will experience that and, and have to pivot yep. so often, especially in the marketing field. Absolutely. I L- love it. Laurie, I have, thank you. I have, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't start this conversation because um, we got off and running and your excitement is it's, it's tangible and palpable here as you talk about this space that you work in. Um, how'd you get here? Oh, goodness. It's been an incredible road, by the way. And it started at college. My professional selling professor asked me to intern for his company. During that internship, um, we hired, my father had left Fortune 500 company, was starting a one-man operation out of the basement of my parents' home. And uh, we asked my father, he's a creative, we asked my father uh, to do a project for us. It was during that project that my father, we were sitting down at a Chili's in Fort Collins, Colorado, and my father said, why don't we give this a whirl together? So I was like, okay, I've got nothing better to do. So we started the agency. We named it um, Avocet Communications. We were pitching a very large uh, national rental car agency and operating out of the basement of my parents' home. On a Thursday, this gentleman called and said, you're a finalist for the piece of business. And I said, fantastic. And he said, we want to come by and see your offices on Monday morning and meet your team. And I said, okay, not to worry. I will fax you over the address tomorrow. So I ran up the stairs and told my father, who was working at the kitchen table, we need a plan and we need it fast hop into the car. And we went around uh, downtown Longmont looking for space walked into a building that had a rent sign on it, signed a lease before we left. That was uh, that day. Friday, we went and bought used furniture that was would have been worth a mint today. It was those old steel case desks. Oh, yeah. And we made wood veneer tops to go over the top of it. We made the outside look really pretty with a foam and, and a fabric around it. Moved in Saturday and Sunday, had our whole family there Monday morning to make us look larger than we were. Jerry Martin walked in the door at 9, and at 10 o'clock we had a contract. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. I love that. That speaks to my, my yeah. the pivot, the, you know. It's everything, it. right? It's, it's the alignment. It. We need a, you know, it's everything combined. And it's that that entrepreneurial spirit, that DNA of um, give it a go, uh, yeah. Of give it a go, and that's what yeah. we bring to our clients as well. They're in the same boat, you know. Not necessarily our enterprise. I think our enterprise clients are really wishing that they had more of that entrepreneurial DNA. And entrepreneurialism is a real unique topic for them today. Uh, but it is that mindset that we bring to solving each and every one of our clients' problems. And I, you know, I haven't enjoyed every moment of the journey, but I've enjoyed. 99% of it. And that 1% has never made me look back and, and question what I'm doing. Um, I learn through those situations and try not to make the mistakes again. And, you know, just onward ho. So, Lori, tell, tell us a little bit more about your dad and your relationship to your dad and your work. Yeah, it, it, he had, 
incredible. That's all I can say. He uh, was such a gift uh, to me. And I like to talk a lot about the fact that I'm a classically trained marketer. And it's because my father uh, learned marketing on the trade show floor. And he applied the principles of having to stop someone in six seconds uh, to in order to uh, create alignment with the messaging, um, alignment with connection, connecting to the brand, and then the alignment of walking past that line in the sand and entering the trade show floor, and you know into the control of the booth environment so that sales could happen. But he was a gift. We I, I can count on one hand the number of times that we disagreed. He said to me, you know, back to the comment um, earlier today, he said to me very early on, and we were partners, he, he said very early on, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, then you need to go find something else to do. Can you imagine a father saying that to his partner who happens to be his daughter in business? Mm-hmm. And that was just the, you know, the gift that we had with one another. We were so aligned, um, so parallel um, in sync in the path that we were traveling down, we had different thought processes. We, we had different deliverables within the confines mm-hmm. of the agency operationally and even with our clients. Uh, but he was an incredible gift yeah. and we worked side by side for 25 years. And, and you, you had mentioned uh, something um, in part of our conversation which is just simply his reminder that if you weren't having fun anymore, because right. uh, I'll, I'll never forget my grandmother when I was 13, I was visiting with her in Germany and um, I can't recall what it was. She just all of a sudden looked up and uh, I think she was in the kitchen cooking and she just stopped doing something. And she just looked at me and said, you know, um, if it's not fun, don't do it anymore. Uh, just don't such do it Such great anymore. advice, isn't and, it? And so this, uh, this idea of uh, shared purpose mission and the alignment between your, you and your dad is a great story. Yeah, so thank you. thanks for sharing that yeah. with us as well. It, it's a real gift. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's good. And at the end of the day, hey, it's all about love, isn't it? It is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lot in that too, um, going and reflecting on some of the other uh, comments you've made uh, here this morning. Uh, one being that content, because content is available, and I think this is what's happening a lot, especially for startups, entrepreneurs, is that they because they have access to content, that doesn't always equate into competency. Right. Or an expertise. Right. And that expertise and competency comes from learning, which right. is really at the end of the day what you're providing through your agency is here's all the lessons since we, that weekend, put this and started this. Here's all the wonderful lessons that are learned. And really at the end of the day, that's, that's the value that um, someone with your expertise and your agency brings to the table. Yeah, content's available everywhere. It the is. application of the content uh, you're either going to need to find someone that has that competency or that level of expertise, or you're going to develop it yourself just like someone else did ahead of you, right. which is experimentation, trial and error, taking the risks. Elongated timeline. Yep. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And if, mm-hmm. if, you're really in, if you really want to get it done and you want to get it done in expedient fashion, just like buying talent for your company, this is externally looking for the talent, looking for the capability and the expertise that you really need right. to get it done in a timely way. Right. Yeah. You know, 34 years of experience, I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't say it. You did. Oi, oi. But that provides you immediate gut reaction and, and 
validated, educated gut reaction to situations versus someone who has 12 months of experience. You know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, years ago when digital started, a lot of brands started to gravitate toward the millennials who were starting all these digital agencies. But they plateaued and that group of agency went out of business almost immediately I shouldn't say immediately. Within 10 years, brands were reversing because they they weren't wise. They didn't have the wisdom of years of experience to be able to say, okay, this is how we need to react to the situation. We had a crisis comm situation with a client yesterday, um, and we had to solve it in 10 minutes. Um, Reporter on the line, client didn't see the email, which, you know, was sent two hours earlier, and we got our heads together, and we had a solution in 10 minutes. That's where experience comes from. Mm -hmm. The, um, there's some safety too, right? I mean, every, every conversation we ever have, there's something there about fear, but there's also something there about the, um, the, the, you know, wisdom is once you develop wisdom, you have, you have some faith that, that you can deal with whatever is going to come. Right. Isn't that a great feeling? I, I love solving problems, uh, showing clients how we yeah. should pivot. Yeah. I love that yeah. thinking. Yeah. Uh, we use, the, we use the, uh, the idea that wisdom is uh, really truly uh, understanding what I don't know. Right. And so when you look at it through that lens, like mm-hmm. we are in this conversation, is that um, we begin with the understanding I don't know, which right. then that creates, there's the curiosity quotient showing up, and um, just simply that idea that, well, we don't have a solution to a problem. What we do is we... We step into it, uh, <laughs> realizing we don't, what and then we open up to the possibilities. <laughs> right? Well, very often we step into the, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Needless to say. I, you know, I think, you know, this goes back to a conversation we've had with, with one of our clients that always wants to know exactly what we're going to do when we're with them, right? I mean, <laughs> I and, know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> well, and, and that's the truth, right? I yeah, mean, that's the, it really is that's the truth. The truth from the experience. I, you know, I'm going to throw out, this is just a, it's, it's too easy of a movie reference to Here leave it off is. the table. All righty. Um, I hope I've watched it. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, this comes you with will. the warning, comes with the warning that my movie tastes are, are not all that good, but, um, <laughs> I'm going to bring in the movie, and I, I get it. it's an older movie now, um, Mr. Mom. Uh-huh. Do you remember this one? I don't. Okay, so Terry Garr and Michael Keaton are, oh. are the main, and um, the whole story is um, their world gets turned upside down. Um, he, he loses his job, and um, she has been out of the workforce to raise their family, and, they, and they, it's just a role-switching movie, but she's actually in advertising, Oh, love and, it. And her client is a company called Schooner Tuna. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you remember this now? I do. And so um, it's, it's coming back to me as well. So the you know in the process, um, you know Michael Keaton as the dad is trying to figure out his role in life, and she's trying to trust her wisdom. And and really, she's running up against the CEO of of that company that is bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. Right. And she is trying to get him to sell trust. And so in that, in that space and time when the economy was, was souring, um, you know, they shoot a commercial. I mean, it's, it's a long time ago. So that was, the, that was the medium, right? They shoot a commercial where the CEO of Schooner Tuna says, um, we're going to hold the price of our tuna at this level because we know that you need it. Mm-hmm. And so, isn't that great positioning? It, it was fantastic. Yeah. But you know, the movie is the fight. I mean, they're fighting with each other to figure out their roles. Um, she's she's fighting for uh, to be seen. Um, 
And, but that's what she sold. She right. got the CEO to, to think about trust with the customer. Well, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, right? And um, it's that feeling. Uh, it's that, that notion of belonging. And when you, can, when you can get there with a brand, you become a loyalist. And that repeat customer acquisition happens. Yeah. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. I was just reflecting on, on Walmart, uh, you know, making life better on that Saturday truck. And, um, yeah, much like the tuna, tuna, schooner tuna. <laughs> just, hey, we're going to give you a really great price, and at the end of the day, this is going to make your life better, right? Mm-hmm. That's a way of selling low price, and it and works because of that, that connection. Well, and it's authentic, which is not one of the words regarding trust. I think that is really sure. important. Um, that authenticity, uh, I think, goes a long way. So a lot of what you do is simplifying the message, too, isn't Oh, Yeah. It? Well, I mean, it, it's right? yeah, finding, finding it, it and then and, and creating. It. And again, we, we mentioned this very briefly a moment ago, but customer first, again, all too, pe- all too often people talk about what we do and how we do it, especially with a lot of our tech clients. But if you can get to that emotional, this is how it will benefit you. And in this situation, guess what? You're going to be able to buy more tuna. You're not going to have to not buy it because we're going to hold the price is exactly what they were trying to achieve and did. So this is the human art of business. So I'm just going to just turn a little bit of a corner here with you. Um, from your vantage point, AI. Uh, it's AI on creating uh, marketing, on creating right. uh, you know, taglines of authenticity and trust. Um, what do you see the influence being? What, do you, what, do you, what are you thinking about going forward? Realizing that... Um, just like all of us in business, that AI is going to impact your world. Yeah, it will. And I think I was in a meeting um, about two months ago, literally during the meeting, uh, this was a CFO and his Marcom team had requested another FTE. At the end of the meeting, he said, I'm going to let the CEO know we don't need to hire people. We need to use AI. So ignorance is bliss. I think that that is a real mistake. The data points, the AI that we can, like putting a competitive analysis in and having it spit out incredible insights for us on the work we have already done on the research is incredibly valuable. You, from a copy standpoint, we all go through LinkedIn. You can take a look at every LinkedIn post and know precisely who has used AI and who has not. It is great for fact-finding. It is great for ideation. It is not trademarkable right now. So from a creative concepting standpoint, you can't get a trademark or a copyright with anything that is spit out of AI right now. So you've got to know a lot about it. One of our dear, our collective dear friends, uh, Lisa Adams, is an, a phenom when it comes to AI and how she's utilizing jam. it yeah. to really, uh, from a strategic development mm-hmm. standpoint, they're great gifts. It, it cannot replace people because you still need to be able to implement everything that it's spitting out. It can diversify thought process a little bit. It can create, it can give people some time back to actually fulfill the job description that they have and are not able to fulfill right now. But I do not, do not unequivocally do not see it replacing the wisdom uh, that we were just talking about, and the need for innovation and ideation and strategic prowess when it comes to launching brands and markets. That's a great answer. It's really comprehensive. <laughs> well said. Yeah, and in the back of my mind, I'm saying, can AI get to the point of knowing what questions to ask? Exactly. 
Oh my goodness. And, and you know, that, that back, back to the gut reaction, right? Yeah. Someone says something, you immediately know what kind of a question to ask. And it can't always be why. You've got to have insight and intellect behind it. So looking, looking forward, looking forward, um, where do you see the, the future of marketing being? Yeah, I think marketing is probably one of the most important components of oh, any well-run organization. Yeah. And there are sales-driven organizations, there are marketing-driven organizations, and then there are sales and marketing-driven organizations. Mm-hmm. Those, those organizations that totally rely on sales only or salespeople to deliver the, the brand message um, don't have the sustainability in market um, because they don't have the brand reputation and that uh, that awareness in the market to sustain them long term. You only achieve that through marketing. Um, individuals who look at marketing as a cost center, I believe, are um, you know short sighted, and it should be helping with top line revenue. And if it's not, you just don't have the right uh, brand. You don't have the right product. You're not differentiating correctly. There's always a reason why uncovering it uh, can be difficult, but that's what I love to do. Uh, but it absolutely is essential, especially with you know the the disillusion um, among consumers and and the buyer market today with choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's essential. So a couple of things um, that I also have additional curiosity about from your vantage point, because you're working with with corporations that have marketing. Um, chief marketing officers, marketing executives. And one of the things historically that's been occurring over the, say, the last decade, um, there's significant turnover in those, right. at, those at that level. Um, and because it seems like marketing is leaned on a great deal. And then at the same time for success, and at the same time when success doesn't occur, it takes to hit. Right. And so, you know, you see this, this crank. If you're thinking about going into marketing as a longer-term career inside an organization, what's your advice? So first off, I have to say this, uh, because there are not enough um, CMOs on boards uh, across the nation right now Mm -hmm. representing marketing as a field. And I think that that's very, very important. And why that is happening is because of the comment I just made. They're looking at it as a cost center, um, not looking at it as a revenue center. Yeah. A lot of CRO titles are in the play right now, chief revenue officers that are kind of balancing uh, sales and marketing together, um, which I do believe can further the need for marketing uh, to be at the table. Um, so that's that. Um, the other point regard, or the question rather regarding, um, you know, what people, what they should be thinking about in getting into marketing. If you have a great mark, if you have a great CEO who believes in marketing, who believes in the DNA of a brand mm-hmm. and how important it is, and not just enterprise, a lot of young kids immediately go to enterprise, P&G, J&J sort of brands because their, su- their marketing houses are incredible within and external. Great experiences. The smaller SMBs really need to adopt the mindset regarding the need for marketing at the table. So is that DNA within the CEO? With Is it within the C-suite? How do they value marketing? Is it under budgeted? Or, I mean, if I am a, if I am interviewing for a marketing job, 
you know, after all the niceties happen, I'm going to ask, you know, the marketing team what the budget is. Because if it is under budgeted, there's no way I'm going to be successful. And guess what? I'm going to have to move on in a year. Yeah, and a lot of people that wind up on boards have uh, industry or operational and financial expertise and not really exactly. marketing expertise, exactly. do they? Yeah, and and the ROIs are so – I mean, we, we've got incredible data that can drive a lot of um, insights right now. But I also think we're, we've got, we're on insight overload, and we've got analysis by paralysis, by yeah. taking a look at everything, and we're overanalyzing and not just owning something and, and knowing and not giving it a chance to succeed because we don't have the length of time in the mix to see it succeed or not. Data and the short-term outcome. The the idea of dataism and our reliance Mm -hmm. on it as opposed to the actual experience, which then leads me to another place. I don't know what you're seeing. And so this is, again, an inquiry of curiosity. Um, Several of our clients have moved away from the chief marketing officer uh, and are looking at it more of a chief experience officer, right. which is in a communication of the experience in the alignment of the customer to employee experience. Um, any any thoughts on, on that? Would be I, I think experience internally and externally are equally important as well. And I love it um, because it is marketing driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk a lot about if there's two things that you must pick. Um, uh, there's price, quality, innovation, and customer experience. Uh, and most people try to be all those things when it comes to really diving down into positioning. We always say you've got to pick two um, because the, you know price could be table stakes. It could be high or low, but it could be a table stake in your industry. You're known as high price. How can you create an experience that is in alignment with high price? So don't choose price as you know something you're going to hang your hat on. Choose experience. Back to yeah, I repeat the experience it. is going to have the exactly. emotional quality that behavior twenty six times it, right? loyalty all yeah. those things we've talked about. If you don't have experience in the mix, and that could be personalization as well, mm-hmm. which is something we talk a lot about, and not just omni-channel personalization, but product personalization, and how do you make my life easier? Like my United app, every time I go to it, it's, you know, it's so personalized exactly what I need. Um, But it took marketing product and innovation to the table to create that experience. It wasn't sales creating that experience. It was marketing. So the co-design piece. Yeah. So, so from a strategic vantage point, my sense of it is that you're into that. Yeah, I really am. I think experiences, we talk about that um, a lot. So we are preeminent brand, and we talk about that a lot uh, with our our table stakes are um, we're higher priced agency, mm-hmm. but our table stakes are quality. I mean, we're not going to get chosen unless we're high quality. It's got to be innovative, right? So we're not going to choose those two things. Um, what is it that we can do to create that experience? And that's where we really uh, spend a lot of our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had last night. I had a one to one with a client at eight p.m. We've got it every other week at 8 p.m. because that's she's so busy all day long. She's got her young child down to bed at that night, and we can sit down and have a one-to-one. I've got a one-to-one tomorrow at 6.30 in the morning um, because it's the only time You're that... You're a late starter. Yeah, and, and early, <laughs> and it's the only time that CEO can see me. Yeah, no, I, I, that re- is, I recognize that world very much. Yeah. Uh, it's very much so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Thank you. 
It's been a great delight having oh, you here with I've us. I loved our conversation. <laughs> a, it has been fantastic. Yeah, very much so. So before we go, I feel like um, I want to introduce a couple other things. We've talked about your professional acumen, um, no doubt. I mean, it's so exciting to hear all these things. I'm over here learning so much from you today, and Aww. I've known you for quite some time. Um, so I met Lori um, in December of 2018 when you were doing uh, the work for Rocor LLC in Longwood, right. Colorado. Right. And I've had the opportunity to, I want to shine a light on the person that you are inside the community too. Oh, thank you, Heather. Because I've seen you I'm do... I'm thanking you before you're saying it. I, I hope <laughs> it's good. It's all good. It's all good. And it just emanates the way that you talk about the business. You also participate in the community in the same way. I've seen the, the work that you've done with... Um, uh, women's work, right? Which is one of my favorite charities, and right. I only came to discover it because I came to the the dinner with you, right? And um, th- you know the work and the presence that you have um, in outreach. Thank you. So I think it's incredible, and I think we'd be you know remiss if we didn't close um, and acknowledge you know the presence that you are and the commitment that you have. These aren't just the words that you're talking about. You're talking about the total experience, and you're you're extending that. Well, you talk about culture, right? And um, the DNA of the agency is really uh, giving back. And we give back in many, many ways. Our real focus is um, on individuals with IDD. And um, we love all of our work um, that we do with Rocky Mountain Down Syndrome Association, Colorado Cross Disability Coalition, um, ARC Thrift Stores, um, Fire Foundation. um, That uh, is a part of the Archdiocese. Uh, and uh, we we love that. It is very, very important to us, um, and we even give our team members uh, 16 hours of paid uh, allocation each year to go and volunteer, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you have to walk the walk and talk the talk. Mm-hmm. You just can't write a check um, and, and say that you're doing something good for the community. How are you truly giving back? How are you mm-hmm. lending the expertise that you have to help them be successful? There's and different forms of contribution. It right? is. Uh, financial um, supplies, right? And it turns out that the one that's most significant and that people are least likely to provide is time. Right. And we've talked mm-hmm. about the preciousness, the preciousness of time here. There's a there, great video on your website about that. Uh, the third element. That's Thank right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Heather. <laughs> uh, that's Edgar It's got alignment, too. Not org.com. <laughs> Um, there's um, there's also a sense of this and in, in hearing that that uh, approach to community and engagement and involvement and the language you use around uh, you know connectivity and belonging um, the great sense of alignment of who you are and what motivates you and how that shows up in your work and your relationships both in business as well in the greater context of, of uh, the community and um, the different professional communities that you're in membership in and their recognition towards you um, and everything that you've accomplished. So I think this is also wonderful. Thank you for that, Heather, because it, it reminds us of the personal alignment and leadership influence. And, you know, you, you mentioned authenticity. What's the alignment of the, of the leader and their influence on the organization in the broader context of community and society as a whole? So, um, Kudos to you. Congrats on mm. that, too. Thank so you. Really well I done. I appreciate it. it. It definitely makes the heart full. So thank you. Thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Um, and thank you, Heather. And thank you, as always, James, who's sitting in the background here. Um, we're definitely going to have to now get a bigger space and more microphones if we're going to continue this uh, idea of the community <laughs> endeavor of the podcast. 
So how do so how do people connect with you? Uh, thank you, Edgar. First of all, I've enjoyed my time here today. It has been wonderful. I love it when I uh, can just have a great, great conversation. So thank you for the questions and thank you for the hospitality. And again, I really do appreciate the coziness. So I'm not certain thank that you, you do need another mm-hmm. studio, but nonetheless, um, best way to reach me is via email, Lori, L-O-R-I, at Avocet, A-V-O-C-E-T, communications.com. And you can also uh, tweet at me, at Lori Jones. Excellent. So uh, with that, a quick reminder, all questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all, um, welcome at info at truealignment.com. Very good. And uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> as well as, um, yeah, subscribe, uh, share, share our podcast with your friends, your family, and the fools <laughs> as well. <laughs> I, I love that comment from, from Ken. And so with that, uh, we'll bid you adieu until next time around. Thank you for joining us on the True Alignment uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. I'm Edgar Papke and also for Ken Sagendorf. And thank you very much for joining us. 